You're listening to the Class on Task podcast, where you will hear tips, strategies, and resources related to behavior and education that can help you in your classroom. Hey, listeners, if you're teaching during this crazy pandemic year or post-pandemic almost year, I think you're going to relate to this episode. Today, Pierre Lewis, a BCBA in New Jersey, is joining me to discuss how student behavior and academic performance has changed during and since COVID and tips for school teams on addressing these concerns. So welcome, Pierre. How are you today? I am good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Can you tell us about your background and your current role in education? Sure. So I'm a board certified behavior analyst, BCBA. I've been certified since 2009. Got into the field when I was at Rutgers University here in New Jersey, just looking for a field work experience as a psych major. Found this school with working with kids with autism. Didn't think I'd like it. One thing led to another. And um, I've been in the field 20 years. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) I worked at Developmental Disability Center, then ended up in a special services school district, which in New Jersey is kind of a school where multiple public schools in the county may send students with disabilities. So I did that, did some residential services, and then did some consultation. And this year is my first time in a little bit as a full-time BCBA in a school just kind of dedicated to one school and it's it's going great. Nice. It's going great. Even though there's a crazy pandemic going on, fun year to come back. (laughs) It is. I mean, um, it's a good year to come back. It's so funny. I was just saying to you before we started, just last Monday, we we finally took our masks off here in New Jersey. So our students have been wearing masks for (laughs) the last two years. And so I think helping teachers and students through some of the issues that have come up with the pandemic have been difficult, but also interesting. And I think part of my role this year has just been to remind people, it's okay, I know you're really working hard, but don't forget your students have not been in a school building for some of them mm-hmm. for you know 12 months, 18 months. Um, some of our students were remote, you know, and coming into the school building two days a, a, a week, and you're gonna, that's, that's gonna have an impact on what you're seeing in the classroom, so. Oh, yeah. I'm in Florida, and I definitely have seen a, a huge difference this year compared to previous years. Absolutely. For sure. <laughs> so speaking about the differences, what are you seeing that is the most different this year compared to other years related to, to student behavior? Good question. So I think I have I have the pleasure of working and having my physical office with the rest of our child study team. And so I've got the school psychologist. I've, I have our LDTCs, social workers in one area. So listening to them seeing things with my own eyes and talking to other BCBAs and and other schools, we are definitely seeing an increase in referrals this year. That is for sure happening. And it seems like it's daily. Uh, We'll come into Mm -hmm. the, we'll come into the building. It's like, Oh, we got another referral today. We have another referral coming in. And honestly, even in the last few weeks, we've seen an increase. So I would definitely say this year we've seen an increase in referrals. And I think I've seen an increase in teachers coming and asking questions during their lunch breaks about, you know, I'm noticing a student in my classroom is having this issue with reading or with math and asking the LDC, what do you think you would do? What are some other, you know, tips you've tried in in your career? So I think usually I would see teachers working those things through on their own. And I think for the first time in a while, I'm seeing teachers reaching out more than usual for assistance. That's a really good thing. Yeah, especially so. all of you guys being in one area too that has to help all those resources for teachers. 
That's it awesome. is fantastic. Yeah, people can just kind of come into our office and if for some reason all four or five of us are there at the same time, <laughs> okay, what do you think, behavior guy? What do you think, speech person? What do you think, whatever? So that's, that's helpful. And just to clarify, so when you say referral, what does that mean? So referral meaning that someone who's working with that child may suspect that there's a disability, something that might require additional testing or evaluations to see if that child might need additional services besides what's happening in the general education setting. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. I just want to make sure our listeners aren't thinking, oh man, all these behavior referrals, or they're getting written up or suspended. And these are more referrals for additional services. That's right. That's a good clarification. So if a student is both academically falling behind and they exhibit disruptive behavior that interferes with their learning, where would you recommend the school team start? So kind of going back to what's happening, I don't want to say post-pandemic, but certainly you know, in Jersey, it's starting to feel like we're starting to get back a little bit to some normalcy. I think what I might suggest this year to teachers, I think usually you would look at behaviors first and say, hey, let's take a look at, you know, disruptive behaviors. Let's see if this particular behavior is attention seeking. And that's still very important as, as an analyst. Of course, that's kind of my meat and potatoes. I think for this year, I would, I would recommend that we're looking at skill deficits. Are there things that the average third grader would have had in 2019 prior to the pandemic that maybe over the last year and a half they were not able to they were not able to to get that same level of intervention that they would have and are they in a different space now and are those deficits potentially leading to some of the problem behaviors and I think it's something an analyst would have looked at anyhow but certainly over the last mm-hmm. two years that's a place I'm going to first now. You know, what are some of the deficits? Is there anything missing that, you know, maybe the average second or third or fourth grader wouldn't have, you know, been missing two years ago? Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot as well. There's just some of these kids haven't been in school for so long. And that's that's a lot. Even, you know, over summer break, we see regression sometimes. So that's a it's a really big, big issue. With your student study team, or is it student study team? Child, uh, child study team. CST. Child study. Okay, it's opposite for us. Child okay. study team. So, with everyone on that team, who is responding a lot to those questions as far as like the academic skills? Is there certain people on your team that? Yeah, what I'm finding is that our teachers are coming to me for behavioral issues if they're suspecting that there's a behavioral issue, and then they're going to our learning disability teaching uh, teacher consultant LDTC, and partly because she has spent so much time. So she's been a case manager, she's been a teacher, and she's been a reading coach. And so a lot of our students who may be having difficulty seem to have fallen behind in those areas. And so they tend to come to her for questions about reading. Why are they, you know, what's the issue with this? So that seems to be our go-to person, at least in my building, when it comes to issues with skill deficits. And then I think besides that, if we're finding that there's not an issue there, we're going to our school psychologist and then kind of myself third, if they're if they're thinking it's a behavioral issue. But I'd say our LDTC is our first line of defense in our building. Okay, that's awesome. You guys have so many resources and I'm sure, you know, different schools and districts will have different titles and labels for different people who are in those positions. But I just think it's so important, especially this year, that teachers are kind of seeking that additional help and asking for suggestions from different team members. Yeah, I, I'd say on a given day, our door is being knocked on 
you know, three or four times. Just <laughs> like a random, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this curriculum versus that? You know, I would have done this then, but I'm not seeing the growth as quickly. What are your thoughts? So she's she's a busy person. She's <laughs> I bet. A very busy person in our district. <laughs> so if you guys focus on the academic and you're helping the kids kind of make more of the academic progress but they're still having the behaviors that kind of interfere with their learning. And you're seeing that the behaviors are really difficult to manage. What would be your kind of first line of defense for them? Sure. So then the first thing I'll always say is, can you specifically lay out what it is that you're seeing? Is it one specific problem behavior? Are you just seeing a cluster of things? And so I'll usually ask the teacher to narrow things down to one to three things that then I can come into the classroom and observe. And before I even do that, I'll usually sit with him or her and I'll say, hey, you know, what are you seeing? What are the paraprofessionals in your classroom, if you have those, are seeing? And then we will schedule a time for me to come in. I will usually ask them to schedule a time when they're most likely to see what the issue is and a time when they're least likely to see it because inevitably I come in and, oh, of course, they didn't see the behavior. It didn't happen today. They're making a lie out of me. So um, I will typically uh, ask them for two different times. I come in, I try to be a fly on the wall. Mm. It's difficult if it's the first time they're seeing me. They they, they realize somebody news in, in the building. So I almost don't count that first observation just because they're going to be looking back. They're going to be seeing who's this person. So, you know, for me, usually by the second or third time, I can start to see you know, what the issues are. Okay. That's nice. And I think it's good too, for our listeners and teachers listening to this, just to kind of remember like when, when BCBAs or anyone from the team is coming in to observe, they're definitely looking for what the students are doing and how the environment can be changed. And it's not the teacher's fault. It's not your guys's fault. (laughs) So we're here to help. And, you know, I think that's good just to ask, like, when is it most likely to occur and least likely? So it's not just you're seeing the crazy or you're seeing only the good. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think I'll tell my BCBA colleagues, relationship building is very important. And I think it's important to communicate to your teachers that you're coming in, you know, you're, we're coming in on their, into their space. And so mm-hmm. we want to ask, when's the best time? You know, I want to be mindful of your schedule. I want to be mindful of how busy you are. And I want to build that relationship and let them know I'm here to support. I'm not here to critique I'm here to support mm-hmm. you. So that relationship building has to be happening. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> so once you identify what the disruptive behaviors are, what's something that you can do next as a next step to try to target those behaviors or see why they're happening? Sure. So there are times when the behaviors may not be you know, too disruptive or something where I can provide some strategies and I may say, hey, I recommend this. I'm going to send it to you in an email or on some kind of a form. I'll come back later this week. I may even collect the data myself to make it easier for the teacher. Or if they're able to just collect something, hey, I'm going to come back later this week. I try to graph it or do something so that they can see a difference. And if it's something pretty low level or not very intensive, it may stop there. If it requires more, then at that time, we may decide as a team that we need a functional behavior assessment. So we would need to get parental permission. And then we would want some very specific operational definitions, which is just very clear definition of what we're looking at. I would then observe the student in multiple settings, multiple times, and try to figure out what the function or the cause of the behavior is. Because if we're able to figure out why they're doing it, then our treatments can be more efficient and more effective for our teachers. 
I think that's really a really good thing too, just to kind of focus on why the behavior is happening. I know that now because of my, you know, my experience, my training, education, everything, but as I, I was a gen ed teacher prior to this, and I remember having different people come into my, out of my room, collecting data and everything. And, you know, they told me, okay, your kid runs around the room eight times every however many minutes or, you know, whatever the data was. I'm like, okay, yeah, I know that. So what, you know, and I don't think it was exactly explained as well to me as far as like, this is why the behavior is happening. And this is why it's so important to figure out the why so we can target a replacement behaviors or more appropriate way for that, that child to get what he wants. Absolutely. That, that why is critical. And, you know, sometimes when you've been doing things, you know, long enough, you may come in and without an FBA, it's very obvious. You're like, okay, oh my goodness, this is this, or it's looking like this. And those strategies you can give pretty, pretty readily. That why is so important. Um, Mm -hmm. It allows people to look at things, not just in reference to that one particular behavior at this one time of the day, but they may start to look at multiple behaviors from other students or from that student in different environments and say, oh, okay, because we have an escape function. Okay, this may be this. And they may change their responding throughout the day, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if the behaviors are presenting disruptions in the classroom and you've completed the functional behavior assessment and there's a need for additional support or behavior plan, um, what are some things that should be included in a behavior plan? Oh, good question. So, you know, one of the things I remember from my graduate training, sometimes some of the most complicated things have been said in such a simple way that they stick with you 15 (laughs) and 20 years later. And I remember one of my professors with the KISS acronym, you know, keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Um, And that was like, you know, keep it simple. And I remember, you know, he would say, you want a good reinforcement system, which can be a very difficult thing. Uh, To be honest, when people ask me what I do, there are times I say, my job is to find people's reinforcers (laughs) and to, to be able to deliver them within a framework that works for a teacher, to be honest. And so we need a good reinforcement system. We need to figure out how often we're gonna reinforce. We need to figure out what the replacement behaviors are gonna be. So if we have an attention function, how are we gonna teach this student to access attention in an appropriate way? So we need to teach them replacement behaviors. We're looking for reinforcement schedules. We're looking to teach the adults in the classroom how to respond, right? So when you Mm -hmm. see this, this is what I want you to do. And there are nuances to that. So I can say, you know, provide attention, but what what does the attention look like? Are we talking high quality attention? Are we talking, hey, very subtle attention? Are we talking high fives? Little things like that take a long time to figure out. So even Mm -hmm. though on paper it may just say, hey, provide attention, you know, every second time you see this thing, being able to provide those little nuances and how you how you give that attention are going to be so important. So those are like the staples. There's probably a very, there's a longer list of things, but I would say just to kind of get started, those are some, some staples you're going to want in your behavior plan. Sounds good. And so when we have a behavior plan, how long would you recommend the teacher collecting data or whoever it is collecting data in the student's current environment prior to suggesting a child to move to a different setting? So I know... In my experience, for example, if I'm consulting in general education classrooms and the teacher and administrators or whoever are saying, this kid's having behavior, he needs to go to that other classroom. How long should they take this data prior to even bringing it to the team to say, okay, here's the data, here's what it says. So especially this year, 
coming off of, <laughs> again, uh, I'm not minimizing where we are in COVID, but coming mm-hmm. off of being of spending so much time not in the classroom, physically in the classroom, it's going to depend on how frequently that student is engaging in a behavior. So I, I may I may have a student where the issue at hand is happening every day, multiple times a day, and within two weeks, because it's the behavior is so disruptive, because it might be impacting other students' educational time. We may have enough data in two weeks. That may seem like it's not a long time, but we may have enough information there, depending on how intense that behavior is, to make that type of decision. If we have a, a learner who is exhibiting a behavior that's not happening very often, or we're not able to collect data on the behavior very often, it might take a few months quite easily. I, I would have a very difficult time as an analyst or as, a, as an educator say, I want to move the student to another classroom based on three or four data points, because that's just not enough information for me to even suggest recommendations before we, we make that move. So I would say a lot of it has to do with the behavior, how intense it is, and also the impact it's having on other students. If we're able to get enough data, and sometimes people are very motivated to be able to get that data to help <laughs> that student, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we can make that type of decision. If we if we have the team's input too, we're talking you know mm-hmm. parents, administrators, speech, other folks who may be involved, so that that would be my answer. I know it's kind of one of those. It depends. It depends. Yeah. Depends is kind of like my 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 go to, but I wanted to give a little bit more, you know, info on on it depends. Yeah, I think that's so important too. Just to really consider, like this is a child's education and their placement could really have an effect on that. So if it's a behavior issue and they're sitting in a general education classroom, they're kind of on grade level, but they're having some behaviors that are disrupting their learning that make them look like they're below grade level. If you go and then just say, oh, okay, a couple of days, there's behavior. We're, we're pushing the kid to a more restrictive environment with maybe less demands or tasks or adapted curriculum. So he's not getting that same gen ed standards or curriculum. Like it's, it could be a disservice for the, the student if it's, if they're moved too quickly. I think it's an Excellent, excellent point. That's such a heavy decision, right? Because mm-hmm. it's difficult sometimes. So I'm primarily working in elementary school right now. And I, when we talk about those types of decisions, I'm trying to think three or four years from now, when this student is on, on a track based on a decision we made in 2022, I really want to feel like the decision we made is based on good data, having enough data. It's so important. I'm blessed to have, I was telling you before we started, my boss happens to be a BCBA, and she's one of the things that she tries to do is really have an inclusive environment in the school. And so before we even think about moving somebody, we will explore looking at additional services in that general education setting first to see, can we make progress here with an additional person or with some additional accommodations before we even think about moving? Because it is, it's a big decision. Yeah, it is. And even with the, the referrals and I know some of the, the schools I'm consulting with, they've had a lot of questions with diagnosing students with emotional behavior disorder. And once they get that diagnosis, like that's that's on there for a while, you know, and we just right. don't want to just give those diagnoses out. We want to make sure that, you know, collectively as a team, we have enough data to support kind of those decisions. Right. Especially coming off of being away from school. And, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, things may have been different in Florida, but here in Jersey, we have some students, you know, who really this September was their first time in the school building yeah. in quite some time. And yeah. it's, it's been an adjustment. 
All right. So we've talked about if a student needs a behavior plan, but what if a student already has a behavior plan and the teacher or the team say it's not working or they're not really making progress, what would you suggest? So a couple things. I think the first thing I would say is I, as a BCBA, want to go in and observe. I want to see if the plan is being implemented with fidelity, right? So if we're saying adults are going to respond in this way, is that happening the way we said it would happen? One of the things I've found in the last few years that's been very helpful for me is something called the PDC, the Performance Diagnostic Checklist. Mm -hmm. And that helps me assess if we have a skill deficit or like a motivation issue. And that's with the adult. And I don't mean to, you know, be disparaging when I say skill. It may just mean, are you able to actually run this thing the way we thought we could? So sometimes I may write a plan and we may all decide as the adults, okay, we'll be able to praise X number of times an hour. And two weeks in, we're realizing, oh man, that's much more difficult than I thought it'd be. Mm. And so it doesn't mean you can't, but maybe just based on your environment, that's not really doable for you. So how are we able to change that? And so I will look at that performance diagnostic checklist, A, to see if I, as the consultant, have done enough training. Have I explained it? Is the buy-in there with this particular plan? I will openly let my folks know we can make adjustments. If something's not working for you, let me know. I'd rather you tell mm -hmm. me early on, Pierre, this plan is not working versus giving me a thumbs up that it is working, but knowing that it's not really something you can implement in the classroom. So I would say fidelity checks, increase observations by the person who wrote the plan. If you can use that performance diagnostic checklist to take a look at environmental factors, as well as factors for you as the trainer or the person who wrote the plan. And then the last thing I would say is graphing the data. One of the best things that's happened to me in my current setting is that our director has us use the decision tree protocol, which has us graphing the data daily and making decisions every three days. And wow. not only graphing it daily, so mm -hmm. we're, we're graphing paper and pen, which at first I was like, uh, I was like, really? But oh. <laughs> it's kind of, yes, but I'll tell you what, I was a little resistant at first. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. But it's forced me to make data points daily. And then it, it has these seven rules that it has you say, okay, after X number of days, if we're not seeing progress, something's got to change. We have to have a different tactic. Maybe I've got to go in and observe. I've got to do this. But it's also given me the ability to be able to show progress to a teacher where they may not think there's progress happening. So sometimes what I may consider progress may not be what the teacher or the person in that classroom considers progress, right? Because the student may still be, I don't know, engaging in that behavior the same number of times, but it's happening for a shorter duration or they're able mm -hmm. to get back to task much more quickly. So on paper, it looks like it's still eight compared to eight last week. But oh my goodness, we're getting back on task within 14 seconds. And last week it was three minutes. Mm -hmm. And so those are the types of things that being able to graph the data daily does so you can show you know, the story behind the data points. And so you may be able to say, hey, there's actually lots of progress happening here. It doesn't seem like it because you're in the middle of it every day. So that would be the last point I would ask to add about that. I, I've, I've been guilty of not showing people the data. Like I'm, I'm like hoarding. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, why am I hoarding it? I need to show you the progress. I love that. And I think the, the data is so, so important playing a part of all of this too. And I know I always kind of warn teachers ahead of time when I'm talking about data, I'm like, okay, I'm a behavior nerd. I really, really love this. You may not absolutely love this, but 
this is what it's saying, <laughs> you know, kind of go over what the, the graphs say. But I like that your team does it so frequent too, like reviewing the data so frequently because teachers get that immediate feedback of, oh, okay, I'm, I am doing the right thing. I'll keep working on it or I'll keep doing right. that. So I and really, really like that piece. It's reinforcing for me because there are days I I come up to my office and a teacher's grabbed me in the hallway and said, hey, we had another incident today. And there are days I'll go back to my office and feel like, oh man, like, am I not doing something right? Like, you know, am I not leading the, the team the way I should be? And then I come back and be graphed the data points and oh goodness, okay, no, you know, it's it's stable or it's it is actually better than it was last week. Our trend is decreasing. So doing that, and I know we should be doing it every single day, but even if it's every other day, that information is very helpful. Yeah, that is. So with uh, the behavior plan, I know a lot of people kind of think like, oh, there's you know, some things I have to follow, whatever, but it really is a legal document, really similar to individual education plans. So I like that you brought up the point that if things aren't working or if the teachers like, this is not realistic for me, they definitely need to speak up and say something to kind of work on compromising to, to make it work for them. So I Absolutely. really like that you guys do that. Absolutely. That's where, again, those relationships are very important because people have to feel like they can have that conversation with you to make those decisions. So So we've talked a lot about behavior. A little bit prior, we talked about kind of falling behind academically. But if you're seeing that it's not a behavior concern or you have the behavior under control and it really is more of an academic concern, how would you suggest teachers kind of identifying those specific academic areas of need for the students or what kind of goals would you suggest? Sure. I think what I've seen this year that's that seems very helpful is if a teacher is not necessarily like, you know, taking data with, uh, on a piece of paper, they're bringing some type of a permanent product to somebody to show like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is where I'm having a hard time or where this student's having a hard time. And so in a sense, they are pinpointing that specific need for the student and bringing it to somebody who, if they're not able to help, can maybe show that evidence to somebody else and say, hey, how else can we support this student? So I would say, pinpointing that specific area of need to try to get as pinpointed as possible. It's reading these types of words. It's these blends. It's this specific issue and any evidence you can show that you can bring to you know, a coach or whoever the title may be in your school that may be mm-hmm. able to help. That is so important. I've seen specialists and coaches be able to say, oh, do this or you know what? I'm not sure. Let me go take a look at that because they have something that they can look at in addition to the teacher report. So I would say pinpointing and then that can then help us figure out some clear and measurable goals for that child. Okay, mm-hmm. great. I saw this issue. Go and do this. Let's reconvene in 10 school days to see what impact, if any, these recommendations have had. I've seen more this year of teachers saying, hey, I'm having an issue with this student. Look, this is what's mm-hmm. happening when this is happening. And I just see so much. I see the support being able to be given much more quickly when there's some evidence there, because, you know, you may have an LDTC or a coach or somebody who doesn't have the time necessarily to, to go and see it. But if they're able to show some type of evidence of it, then they're able to either give you some in the moment help or at least go and try to find out who might be able to support that that student for you in the classroom. Nice. All right. So it's kind of a big question, but if you can share just one main tip related to this topic for school administrators specifically, what would it be? I think it would be listen to your teachers and I'm sure it's happening. And so I don't want to come off like, you know, like some, I'm some antagonist. Teachers are on the front lines, just like BCBAs and speech folks, but they're on the front lines and they 
are able to tell when a second, a third, a fifth, whatever, eighth grader, you know, in 2022, in March, so we're recording this in March of 2022, so a teacher today is able to say, you know, usually by March, my students at this time of the year are able to do these things for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and they're comparing that to last year and the year before in the last seven years. And I think it's important for administrators to be listening, not just to our individual teachers, but collectively. As I talk to professionals, not only in my district, but, you know, colleagues I have who are also in schools, it's the same story. And so, mm, yep. my, you know, it's, it's easy for, and I, I could see why it's easy for a teacher to think, Hey, this is happening in my classroom. And then you're talking to teachers in your building. Oh, it's happening in our building. And then, oh, it's happening in our district and it's happening in the next district over and the next district over. So I think it's important for administrators to really be listening to teachers. And then I think communicating with either other district leaders or or seeing what other districts are doing to try to figure out some of these same issues I think everybody is having. This is not specific to Jersey or Florida or California or Texas. This Mm -hmm. is happening all over the place. I think I just read an article last week about the impact. We're starting to see some of the impacts in our second, third, and fourth graders now with COVID. And so Mm -hmm. listening to your teachers and then letting them know, I'm trying to support you. I'm going to try to figure things out. I may not have an answer now, and I don't think that teachers expecting an answer in that moment, but like I'm listening to you and I'm hearing that this is something that's happening and I'm going to take this to other folks above my head who can, who can help with that. I think that's a really important point in 2022. That's an awesome tip. I a hundred percent agree. Okay, great. 100%. <laughs> All right. And what about a piece of advice for teachers related to this topic? What would it be? I think for our teachers, I'm going to say a few things. And I, I probably should take the advice I'm going to give. So you are doing your best. <laughs> you're likely, you know, going home and like, oh, my God, I'm not doing enough. And you're probably coming in super early and working 20 percent more than you were working in 2019, which is already a lot. So I just want to I just want to remind you that you're doing some great work. Don't forget that we have students who have not been in a physical building. And even if they have been, things have just been absolutely wild. And we have family dynamics, we have health issues and stressors that are impacting our students in ways that we probably even haven't recognized yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say you're doing your best. So be easy on yourself a little bit. I know that's not in your DNA as a teacher. Um, <laughs> but now on the flip side, continue to advocate. So I think what I've seen is I've seen I've seen teachers coming back and saying, hey, this student, hey, I tried that. What are some other things we can do? And you can advocate in a very professional way, but continue to be persistent for your students. Because the, the reality is if, if that teacher is not advocating for that student and they're the ones who are seeing them the most every day, mm-hmm. who else is going to do that? The parents may not be able to, to know that, hey, you know, by March of 2022, we want our students to be here. The teacher's going to know that. So I guess it's a, it's, it's a two part. It's, you know, you're doing a great job. So take it a little easy on yourself. I'm sure you're doing fantastic. And then continue to advocate with whoever it is in your district who you believe can help this year. You do not need to do this on your own. And more than ever, this needs to be a team approach. Both of those are awesome. <laughs> Perfect ending to this podcast for sure. And 
I'm sure there's teachers out there. You probably need to save wherever Pierre just said this. So you could rewind and give yourself a little like motivation every morning. <laughs> you are. Because we doing... all need to hear it. We all yes, do. Absolutely. And it's, absolutely. it's a tough year it. and teachers are really doing phenomenal. And I don't think the rest of the world really understands what all is going on <laughs> in the classroom. They, they see the teachers complaining and they're like, oh, the teacher's on a kick again, you know, but it's hard. And it's a hard field right now. And I, I just want to say thank you, a huge thank you to all teachers out there for what all you guys are doing right now. And anyone in education, you guys are all amazing. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I'm, I'm profoundly, just profoundly amazed at the work that's happening. And I've never seen a, a group of people work so hard. And if people are complaining this year, they're complaining on behalf of their students because they want their best for their students. And mm-hmm. I'll take that any day. Oh, yeah. Well, Pierre, thank you so much for your time today. And it was awesome kind of hearing what you guys do in New Jersey and getting some tips for these teachers out there who are navigating through all of the challenges this year. So thank you so much. And if our any of our listeners kind of want to reach out to you about any questions, is there a good way for them to contact you? Sure. So uh, I am on I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So Pierre, P-I-E-R-R-E, Lewis, L-O-U-I-S. So you can find me on LinkedIn and Pierre D. Lewis on Instagram. If you want to instant message me, I'd be happy to, to connect. All right. Great. And listeners, if you enjoyed this or if you feel other educators would benefit from this episode, we'd love for you to share the episode with them. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, please leave a rating or share it with a friend. Resources mentioned during this episode and links to our social media pages can be found in our show notes. If you want to learn more about how Class on Task can make a difference in your classroom or school, check out our website, classontask.com. Thank you so much for joining us today and see you next time.